I know this has happened to you. It happens to me all the time. You're at, you're at a restaurant with someone, and you sit down. You don't want any conversation until you've poured over the whole menu, and you've ordered the best thing, and you're very excited because you're hungry. And so your server comes, and you, you give your order, and the server goes away, but comes back with food for your neighbor's table, and you look over and say, is that stuff even on the menu? That looks really good. I think I ordered the wrong thing. And instant regret looking over. But that's okay because your food is still on the way. So you wait and you watch them eat their good food. And then the server sets the stuff on your table and you have your first bite and it's pretty good. But the person across from you says, Oh my goodness, this is so good. Have a taste. And they put a little bit on their fork and they give you a little taste. And it's the best thing on the menu. And it's not yours to eat. That happens to me all the time. In our psalm today, Psalm 34, the invitation is, have a taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I called to the Lord and he answered me and now you try it. Just a, just a taste. It's so good. Seek the Lord and you will lack no good thing. That's what's going on here. We're continuing this sermon series. We're looking specifically at the Psalms of David. We're thinking about what does it mean to worship the God of all in all of life. And last week we focused on this notion of the God of all, that every inch of creation is the Lord's and he Every, there is nowhere in all of creation that is not, uh, where God is not worthy to receive praise. That it's all his, and we, we, all of creation, individually, corporately, cosmically, uh, God is worthy of worship. Today we want to focus a little more on worshiping God in all of life, in every aspect of life, in all that we are, in all that we experience, all the conditions of life. And we can read the Psalms and feel a little disconnected from what's going on. And we, we can see it as very metaphorical. But Psalm 144, it says, Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. This was written by David. He was a professional soldier. So when he talks about war and battle, he, this is very real things. These are not just symbolic things for David. The Psalms talk about arrows and fortresses and shields. And we, again, we see it very symbolic. This was very life or death kind of thing for a professional soldier who fought with others, who found himself on the run. In all different, he, his life was threatened in very real ways. And for you, you know, so God has trained his hand for his daily task of keeping peace and fighting off enemies. But God has trained you for your daily tasks and in the the day-to-day of your life that you're going to experience God through those things in in different seasons of your life, in your vocation. And so we're looking at a very specific situation that led to the writing of this Psalm 34. And I want to give a little background of what was going on and why, what inspired David to write this. And through this, it was God's faithfulness to David in a very specific situation that 
caused him to commit to trust God in all situations and inviting other people to join him in trusting God in all the situations of life. And we're going to look at a number of those as we go through this. But my guess is, for most of you sitting here, you could think of one moment or one time in your life, at least one, I hope, where God was faithful to you, where God rescued you, where God healed you or or someone else, or you experienced God's wisdom for a situation, and God was faithful to you in that. And my hope is just as this situation uh, of God's faithfulness to David inspired him to press forward, that that situation in your life of God's faithfulness to you will push you forward in your days to come and perhaps even invite others to join in on that. So that's what we want to do today as we look at this. Let's pray. Father, we, I, I, we sit before you. I actually, Lord, just ask that you would bring to our hearts and minds maybe even that one situation, maybe something even this week where we experienced your faithfulness, where you saved us, where you rescued us, where you gave us uh, your wisdom and, and, and your guidance and that you were with us. And we praise you for that. We pray that that would inspire us as we consider this situation, how we might respond to you. So we know that you're here. We know that you're our teacher. It is just good to worship you together. And we just pray that you continue to work in our hearts as we consider this. This time is yours. We are yours. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So the background here. As you read through your Bible, you read through the Psalms, a number of them, actually a lot of them, have little words or instructions before the psalm starts. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you look in the Bible in the pew, if you look up Psalm 34, you'll see before it starts, there's a little, what we call a superscript. 126 out of the 150 psalms have some sort of orienting information before the psalm starts. Sometimes it's just authorship. It says, um, of David. So this is a psalm of David, or it's the, uh, the sons of Korah, or whoever wrote the psalm. Sometimes it says the type of psalm it is. It's a masculine of David. It's a certain style of writing. Or there's Uh, instructions for music. This is for the director of music, or this is for stringed instruments, or this is to be sung to the tune of whatever song. We have no idea what it sounds like today, but they knew at one point in time, this this one worked to a certain tune if you're going to sing it. And other psalms have historical background information. This psalm was written when? So Psalm 34, that's what we have. Now, these little superscriptions were not part of the original writing. This was uh, the textual tradition as these inspired writings of God were handed down very meticulously. These were added later to help people use them. And so there's a strong tradition towards what these words say, but they're not as exact or they're not, we don't consider them scripture themselves, but strong tradition behind these things. So this is, if you look in your Bible, Psalm 34 says, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. So it's a very specific situation here. We read the background of this in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So at that time, Saul is the king of Israel. But because of his failure and because of his sin, God is taking the kingdom away from Saul, and Saul knows that 
the kingdom is going to be David. David is one of Saul's servants, one of Saul's men. And Saul is jealous of David. Saul is angry at David. He even twice throws a spear at David, seeking to harm or even kill David. So David is under attack by his own king. And he realizes this and he escapes. He goes to a foreign nation. He ends up in the city of Gath. Gath is a city of Philistines. If you know anything about the story of David in the Bible, his relationship with the Philistines is not good. David was known as a fierce warrior. David defeated perhaps the greatest Philistine warrior of all time named Goliath. So David slayed this Philistine Goliath. He was very famous. They would sing songs about how Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. He was just this mighty warrior. And the people of Gath recognize David, and they go to the king, and, uh, whose name was Achish. Now, the little superscription says the king was Abimelech. Uh, were, either they made a mistake there, or they, it was known by these two names. Either way, they go to this king, and they said, King, do you know who's staying in our town right now? David. You know who David loves to kill? Us. This is a problem. David realizes he's been recognized. He realized this is a huge problem. If he is seen as a threat, he's alone, by the way. He's going to be killed. So he comes up with this idea. He said, well, I'm going to pretend to be crazy. And this is what it says, 1 Samuel 21. So David pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. In Achish, the king said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. Why do you bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Basically, get him out of here. This man is such a threat. Look, he's nuts. I got enough crazy people in my kingdom. Don't bring me one more. Let him go. And David is let go, and he leaves town, and he gets, he's on the run, but he gets away and he's safe, and his life is saved. That is the story that inspires the writing of Psalm 34. Now, David doesn't take credit to say, I came up with this great idea. I just pretended to be crazy, and they just told me to go away. He said, I give all the glory to God for helping me through this situation. And two things. One is, God helping me through this situation, God rescuing me in this instance, Because of that, I'm committing to trust him as I move forward and whatever I face ahead. I will, verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will extol the Lord. The word extol, the Hebrew word is barakah, to bless. I will bless the Lord. More than just saying his praises, I am going to, however I live, I want it to be a blessing to the God of the universe, as if he needs anything. And yet, at the same time, I can trust him in such a way that there's goodness that is added to what God is doing. I will bless the Lord. In this one instance, says, I'm going to recommit to follow at all times. But also, David writing this psalm is an invitation to others. He said, I sought the Lord. He answered me. And then verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just have a little taste. This is the best thing on the menu. And if you even just 
if you can experience even just a taste of what I've experienced, it's going to be good. And I love the confidence that we can have in our faith. And we as a church, we can invite people to explore faith in Jesus Christ with us. We can invite people to worship with us. Because we believe if you even give it a taste, it's going to be good. Because God is that good. I do it without fear. I don't fear that people are going to come and worship with us and feel and, and somehow God is not good. Or they will not find God as they seek him. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. Those, the, the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And we can have just beautiful confidence as God has been faithful to us, that he will continue to be faithful in the future, and as we invite other people to taste that goodness, that they will find it too. It's not seek and I'll seek, and we'll seek together forever, and we're going to all be on this exploration. It's no seek, and you will find, and it is good. God has been faithful in the past. I can have confidence for life. It's for me, it's for you, it's for David. And the psalm goes on to describe various life situations and challenges in which God can be trusted because of his past faithfulness. I want to just point out four of them. There's so much here. I wish we could spend weeks on this, but just for today, for four of these. Verse 2. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So I'll call this the afflicted. That's the first sort of group of people or the first situation. It's the afflicted. Verse 19 says it as well. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. People who trust God are going to have troubles. Trusting God doesn't mean you won't have troubles, but it's God's faithfulness through them. Those who are afflicted. So right away, David said, let the afflicted, if you're afflicted, hear what I'm saying to you. Join me because I sought the Lord. He answered me. And there are people who do have many troubles. And I talk to people, and I don't know why there's some people that God has just allowed Trouble after trouble after trouble. You know, we all have different things that, we all have different struggles or different challenges or needs in our lives. And there's some people just, any one of them would be hard enough on their own, but it seems like, is God just piling on me? Is God just piling on this person I love? And, and we see this, and yet... The Lord, in verse 19, the Lord delivers him from them all, all the troubles. I think of the story of Job in the Old Testament is the best place for this. Where you have this big showdown between God and Satan. And Satan says, look at, look at Job. Of course he trusts you because he's, you, you gave him a good life. He's safe. He's prosperous. You've got this hedge of safety all around this guy. But take that away and he will curse your name. And all that was taken away from Job. And the whole book kind of describes this whole process. And Job struggled with that, but he didn't curse the Lord. He remained faithful, and God delivered him through that. And I think of the, those who, even in the midst of the many troubles, are able to continue to trust. Because God will deliver. So that's the afflicted. The second group I want to point out here is the needy. In verse 6, and then in verse 9. Verse 6 says... The poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his troubles. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you his holy people, 
for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but to those who seek the Lord, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The needy, the poor, the hungry. Again, this is more figurative language here, but what a beautiful promise is that when you feel in need, when you feel needy, you lack nothing. You lack no good thing. The world may look at you and say that you lack actually a lot of things. You say, no, I lack no good thing. In your moment of need, if you need healing, if you need hope, if you need wisdom for a next step in a job or a relationship or um, a place to live or whatever a next step is, the reminder is that you actually lack no good thing, that God is not withholding from you. The third group I want to point out to you is the brokenhearted, verse 18. The promise here is that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. The brokenhearted. Some of you may have come here with that broken heart, whether it's through the death of a loved one, a broken relationship, a failing marriage, a estranged child, whatever other loss or grief brings your broken heart. The promise is that God is close to you in your brokenheartedness. How, do we, how can we be sure? We can be sure because of Jesus. Because God came to this earth. He takes on human flesh. And in his greatest moment of need, seeking those who were closest to him to support him in prayer, and they fell asleep. They later abandoned him. And he went to his death, even death on a cross alone and abandoned. God understands broken heart. And if, that, if you have a broken heart, God is near you. He's not distant and aloof from you. And God saves those who are crushed in spirit. The fourth group I'll point out. So we have the afflicted, the needy, the brokenhearted, the condemned. The fourth group, the condemned. Verse 22, the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And some of you may be sitting here feeling very condemned this morning. Condemned because of your own failure, because of your sin, because of how you have fallen, and you feel that you are condemned by God, you are judged by people around you, you are embarrassed because of what you have done or what you have experienced. And here the word is that no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Or as the New Testament puts it in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Why? Romans 8 says it better than I can. I'm just going to read it to you. Romans 8.33 goes on to say, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, he was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, 
neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the news. If you are, if you are afflicted or needy or brokenhearted or you feel condemned, that none of those things can separate you from the love of God. You lack nothing. Even in death, you are the Lord's possession and his goodness can be known. The worst that can happen is you will die and be in the presence of your Savior, redeemed and loved and with him forever. That he is with you and he is for you through those things as you put your faith in him. And here David says, God delivered me in my time of trouble and he will deliver me in the future and he will deliver you too. And sometimes it's in the midst of the trouble that you experience God's goodness. It's not even just after it's all over and after it's been healed. It's through that dark valley that you know that your good God is leading you. So what do we do with this? Two things. One for you and then one for someone else. For you. You're going to remember, what we need to do is remember, and I say this because I, I need to do better at remembering God's goodness, how God has been so faithful to me as I face my trouble today. That his past faithfulness will drive me to trust him in my present affliction or trouble. And just remembering God's goodness, counting your blessings at the end of each day, how terrible your day is. Is there one thing you can be thankful for in your day? Can you write it down or can you just pray it out or just think about it? That yes, God was faithful even in this one way. I could see his goodness. Just count your blessings one by one. I learned that, long, that song at Senior Link. I didn't grow up singing this count your blessings song. It's like not my style. Count your blessings, count them one by one. Anyway, oh, so on Friday, this is an aside, but Senior Link had a reunion 20-year celebration of their ministry and it was electric. It was, this place was packed. There was fellowship and food and singing and laughter and reunion and just the goodness of God of these faithful saints who support one another and minister in so many ways in our, we have, we have, we have the best senior adult ministry in all of New England, hands down. There's people who can preach better, music better, do other things better. Senior adults, we do it the best. And that, is that boasting? Kinda? But it's, but it's true, so I'm just trying to not boastfully say it's the best. But they taught me this song, count your blessings, count them one by one. And there is a beauty to that when you say, okay, God's been faithful, I lack no good thing, so I can face today. So that's, we're going to apply it that way. The second thing we can do is you're going to invite others along. Just, hey, here's a little taste of what God has done. Taste how good this is. You've got a story to tell. If God's been faithful to you, you've got a story to tell. We're going to gather, if you don't know how to do that, or what that would look like, we're going to gather, so tomorrow's November, believe it or not, but on the 19th of November, we're going to gather in this room and have a night of just testimony and praise, just thanking God, just a Thanksgiving service, thanking God for his goodness. And we're going to have people telling their story. Hey, this is what God's done in my life. And we're going to use that to, to share and to give him the glory, and to inspire one another to trust God through our things as well. So if you've got a story to tell, talk to Fernando. We might have room to include that, or, uh, or just come and see what that sounds like and looks like, because it is good when you taste that. So let us know. But we're going we're gonna to trust God 
through our day, and we're going to invite other people to join us along. Let us pray. So, Father God, we thank you for those times when you did rescue us from a difficult circumstance. We thank you for when you've given us wisdom in, a, in specific ways. We thank, for, we thank you for when you provided for us. We thank you for the times when you healed us. We thank you for the times you gave us direction. Father God, for all these things, we thank you and we praise you and we bless your name. And above all else, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.